Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting uh, episode of uh, SFP Now. Um, joining me, um, as always, is my good friend Raisa. Uh, the interview which we'll be running later tonight, uh, later in, in the show, is with an um, executive producer and writer of the uh, BBC Worldwide The Musketeers TV show, uh, Simon Allen. And we'll be joining us later on for a chat about, about Musketeers and about some of the other things that he's been up to. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about some of the TV shows that are kind of drawing to holes, as well as some some of the new TV shows that are coming up that we're um, kind of... Um, would, is the right word excited, Reese? would you say? No, um, let's just say we're anticipating them. Um, I haven't really been excited about new crops of shows for a few years now, truthfully. Uh, so I, think, I think it's a sign of getting old, that... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna gonna go over the post office and apply for my bus pass now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got to admit I'm quite excited for I'm quite excited about Westworld. Um, I'm kind Westworld, of, yeah, Westworld. I'm looking forward to. I'm kind yeah. of on the fence about time after time because it's basically adapting one of my favourite movies, which of course is adapted from a book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, time after time they're messing with a favourite movie of mine. And um, I'm kind of um, looking forward to Van Helsing as, you know, for what it is really, a bit of a popcorn or like a hack and smash fun show to watch. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, there is, there is that. Because I, I, don't think, I don't think there's going to be too much in, 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 in that series that, that, that you could take seriously. It's going to be sort of like supernatural vampire hunting and... And, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I've got a feeling it'll probably be a night like, drama comedy sort of thing. Yeah, which won't be which won't be better. We could use more of that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, before before we get to you know discussing these shows in a little bit more in depth, um, um, I want to sort of like uh, talk about Game of Thrones a little bit because we've had a we've had quite a traumatic two weeks. Um, as in towards the end of last week's episode, Ira uh, Arya was stabbed yes. repeatedly by the. Um, is it the waif or the? I can't remember her name. The the character. Yeah, she's called the waif. Yeah, the waif. That's, that's that's her only name. And um and you know, so I'm like, um, I thought, oh no, they're gonna kill Arya. No. One of the one of the interesting fan theories was that the the waif and Arya are basically fight clubbing it out, and that the Arya has basically been tra- transforming into the waif slowly but surely, and when the waif next removes her magic mask, it's going to be Arya's face. And that, mm. and that the waif is just basically getting rid of old Arya. 
not happened uh, because so like um, in in last night's episode, she she fought the she fought the wave. Although we didn't actually see what happened, uh, because basically what what she did is she she ran into a into a building. The wave came in. Arya had needle on her, so she uh-huh. was ready to take her on with her sword needle. Um, but as the wraith approached uh, Arya, she sort of like sliced the top off the candle, so it was nights out. And oh. then, and then it cut to the uh, cut to the to, to that hallway with all the faces. Oh. And you you seen seen the trail of blood as the camera sort of like scrolled scrolled in. And in in one of the places where the faces were was the um, was was the, was the um, disembodied head of the waif. Ah. And and Arya sort of like goes up to the uh, guy that's been coaching her, and um, he says, "You are at last a nobody." And she turns around and says, "I am Arya Stark, and I'm going home." Awesome. <laughs> so she's kind of like re- she's kind of took took her power back. Sort of thing, so it's all. I, I think if she manages to get home, it's all going to kick off. Ah. You know, um, and in in other news, um, there was a bit of a, a standoff with with um, Jamie Lannister and um, you know I can't remember the character's name again. The but, but they'll try and take back the castle, and they they managed to take back the castle by sending their prisoner in. Their prisoner was sort of like the guy that the tongue the guy that actually. Uh, commanded that castle and he told all his troops to stand down and and the Lannisters came in and took it um but the the the, the trouble is with that is um that their, their troops are actually needed in the north to help Rob Stark fight the um fight fight um or oh, Rob Stark's dead you mean no you mean Jon Snow John to help Jon Snow fight the um <laughs> fight fight the evil um the, evil, the, the yeah. evil Ramsay oh okay <laughs> Bolton yeah so um, I, I kind of I kind of see the pattern here. First, you have Jon Snow saying, "My watch is ended." You have the command, and then you have Arya saying, "I'm Arya Stark. I'm going home." It's like it's like the the surviving Stark children are all just sort of reclaiming mm-hmm. and, and bailing. Yeah, they're they're all going home. It seems to me so. Like that 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 is the one connection because. Um, you know, Ramsay Bolton already has um, the other Stark, the youngest Stark boy. Oh yes, uh, Rickon. Rickon yes. Stark, Stark, um, and Rand Stark's uh, in, out out in the um, out in the wilderness somewhere. Yes, that's going to be interesting. Kind of get him home. Yeah, we've not seen him for a couple of weeks actually. They're, they're kind of a, they kind of um, abandoned his story again. At, again at that point. <laughs> but I've got a feeling, you know, we've got two episodes left to go now, so I've got a feeling it's all going to sort of like be happening in these next two. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's sort of like there's some scenes in next next week's episode where, you know, um, Jon Snow and his troops are going up against Ramsay Bolton and his troops, and Ramsay Bolton, you know, was just sort of like piling piling against them with loads of archers, and mm-hmm. thought, shit, they haven't got a chance. Yeah, I um, I, I've read I've read articles that said that the the Battle of the Bastards, which is what next week is, is going to be the the largest battle sequence they've ever filmed. It which is not pretty flipping big in the uh, trailer that that I that I seen online. So yeah, it, it is. Um, but it, it's it'd be interesting. I'm just wondering if uh, Arya will make it home in t- home home in time for the fin- for the final episode of the season. 
She might. She'd have to store a way to do it, but I think she could manage it. Uh, she's not stowing away. She's actually paid somebody. Oh, she, okay. She's hired a ship and a captain cool. to, to take her home sort of thing. Uh, and, you know, that didn't establish whether he'd wait for her or anything like that, but she did spend money on hiring a ship and a captain, so I should imagine if that's still on, she's going to take that route home. Cool. Um, but it's all like, it, it, it was all very interesting yesterday. A lot of it was uh, focused on Aria, and some of it was focused on the Hound, mm. um, who, who's back. Um, yes. And he, he saw like being asked to join. <clears throat> Do you remember that gang that he rescued Aria from? Yes, yes. He's, be, he's being asked by that gang to join them, because uh, the leader of that gang, if you remember, the leader of that gang died, and the Red Priest brought him back. That's right, that's and, right. The, uh, the uh, yeah. And uh, this leader of the gang is kind of like take, taking that to, to mean something. As he's got to have more, he's got to have some meaning uh, to the point where he, he 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 and his remaining men are no longer so like interesting, interested in so like uh, victimizing other people anymore, mm. sort of thing. And uh, they're, they're trying to talk the hound into joining because the hound is the only one to have actually bested their leader okay. in battle, sort of thing. And so so that's. That's the middle plot thread that's going on, but it's all like it's 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 all happening. I'm quite quite enjoying it. Yeah, it's it's like it's like running out of official book materials. The best thing to happen to the show because they're really actually just getting on with it now. They they are, and I've noticed something else as well. You know, though the level of violence hasn't really dropped so much. There's not really been as much sets mm. in in it. You know, now now that they're actually moving away from the books, uh, we've not seen as many uh, orgies and and um, and boy and boy or girl and girl or any any of that sort of action that was kind of like frequent during the first sort of like five seasons. Then they were partially using it as filler, that's what mm. that says. Yeah, that's, that, that's, what, that's what I was thinking. Um, although I've got to admit, the, uh, the, the, the walk of shame that Cersei underwent last year was uh, pretty, uh, pretty grim. It was. It was meant to be. And there were, there's historical precedent for that, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it's, but it's um it's it's all quite interesting and um Tom Tom Tommin's gonna get himself killed I think because he's actually oh, yeah. he, prophecy. He's yeah. he's he's he, well the prophecy that all all of all of her children would die. Mm. Uh, but also, you know, the fact that he's joined with the uh, with the high sparrow and yeah. all of that, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Cersei actually fucking kills him herself. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. Um, because every decision he's made over the last couple of weeks um, seems to have just made her life more and more difficult. Yeah, thing. She, she's not allowed to sort of song like sit in the same court as, as him now. She has to she has to sort of like hang back with all the other courtesans. Oh dear, and, and stuff like that. And he's just banned um, because because he's taking the uh, the kingdom into more sort of like religious sort of like. Uh, religious stance he's banned trial by combat oh so so and he says that there'll be no more people uh, there'll be no more trial by contact combat where people can choose their champions that's over with now we're going to go back to a to an older and better way (laughs) oh wow which is probably walking having people walk through the streets but naked while everyone's chucking cat rotten cabbages at them and stuff like that you know Or, or executions um but you know it's um it's it's all taking place, and uh, you know I've got a feeling that Tom Tommin's gonna sort of like probably die in the fight finale or something. Yeah, yeah. I think he's next. I've I've said this before, but 
one of the one of the reasons why George R. R. Martin wrote the books the way he did was that when he decided to write them, he was really, really bored with the narrative economy that was forced on writers in the television format. He wanted to be able to put in extra characters and 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 extra scenes and all of this stuff. And the problem is that he's he's gone too far. Mm-hmm. And um, and because he's gone as far as he has. And because the book originally started out as a trilogy and he expanded it after the fact, those two things put together are, are why he's run out of juice and why he's still trying to valiantly write books six and seven. Um, even if he gets book six out in a timely manner, um, there's still book seven. And mm-hmm. so it's the, the series is going, the TV series is going to conclude before he gets all the books out. And fans are basically just resigned themselves to that. Um, I I really respect the show's writers for going on without him. Um, I kind of I gained a little bit of respect for him for for just handing his rough outlines and details to the show writers so they can go on without him. I think he I think he's uh, I think he realizes that he's written himself into a hole. Mm. It'll be interesting to see if he can get out of it. I'm I'm just wondering who will wind up on the Iron Throne, you know, or, or if it or if it will even be relevant. Yeah, you know, or, or you know, will, will, will the Iron Throne be broken? Um, you know, it's sort of like um, it's it's kind of a because we've got as far as I'm concerned, there's basically two really strong contenders for it. Yeah, and an outsider that that could have chance, and the two strong contenders really for me are Daenerys Stormborn. Yeah. And um, and Jon Snow, those are the obvious two. And they're and they're related. And they're and and they're possibly related. Possibly related, you yeah. know. Um, but the other one who's also possibly related is Tyrion Lannister. Yes. You know, and um, I I personally I I think I'd whoop if it ended up being Tyrion. Or if it just ended up because there are three dragons, you realize. So I'm wondering if they're heading for a triumvirate. Yeah, so so you got um you got three leaders. Yes. Kind 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 of um yeah that that would be interesting actually because that that would almost be like sort of Mount Olympus sort of democracy. Yeah, a sort of oligarchy instead of a monarchy, which yeah. might be a better system for them. Yeah, might might be a better system all around. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that that'd be interesting to see. I I, I just can't wait to see see how it finishes. Um, I mean, I've got to admit, I, I found last season of Game of Thrones a real struggle to stay with and watch. Mm. And and this season's just been easy. It's, it's just gone so quickly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can't believe there's only two weeks of it left. Yeah. It's just gone so fast. And I've been watching the simulcast on Sky, on Sky Atlantic at 2am in the morning on Sunday. So I've been wow. watching it the same time as you guys get it. <laughs> sort of thing. And, you know, it's been great. <laughs> Uh, the not the not so great part is the fact that I have to be up at eight a.m. the following morning. So, oh. <laughs> but I'm managing it. Um, but let's move on to some of these newer show new shows we got. I mean, um, as far as the non sci-fi stuff that I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out, uh, we've got Twenty Four Legacy, and we've also got the TV version of Lethal Weapon, which looks like it could be quite good. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to in terms of the non sci-fi stuff. I'm looking forward to Designated Survivor, which is Keeper Sutherland's new series. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's based on the concept here in the U.S. Um, in Britain, you wouldn't know about it, but every year we do the, the State of the Union, and the cabinet is there in one place for the State of the Union, except for 
one cabinet member who, after drawing lots, basically stays behind in a safe place so that in the event of a terrorist attack and the rest of the cabinet and the president is killed, that one cabinet member can assume the presidency and mm. maintain continuity. And the premise of designated survivor is Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland is the one cabinet member and there is a terrorist attack on the night of the uh, um, State of the Union and he's the only one left and he assumes the presidency. Mm. And it's, it's basically, it's basically, he's basically playing twenty-four. Only, only the flip side, you know. So, um, so that should be interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, sh- I'm not so sure. I can see Keith Sutherland playing a convincing politician. He's, he's basically doing an everyman role, you know, an everyman mm-hmm. thrust to greatness kind of area. Yeah, from, from what I can tell. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if we can if you can pull that off. I, I have to give that a go, but I've got to admit, I've seen Keith Sutherland in in the shows that he's done other than Twenty Four, and I've never really been able to somehow get on board with him. It's like mm-hmm. he had that he had that one a couple of years back. Um, is it what, about the uh, him and the little boy? I remember. What it was yeah, called. oh yeah, yeah, Touch. Touch yeah, the, and the boy. The boy went on to, to play a young young Bruce Wayne in Gotham. Yeah, and I I caught like one episode of that and was bored. So. Yeah, I, I caught a few more. I caught about three, four, but it just wasn't really. It, it was kind of like a, a tired old format, really. Mm, well, it was it was Tim Crane, so you know. So I I just gave up after four episodes, but you know, and um, so but you know, so I mean, it'd be interesting. I think Keith Southern, what he needs, I think he should just go back to making films. To be honest, he he's probably not doing that because he feels bored by them at this point. Um, I, I mean, the impression I got when he did Twenty Four when he signed up for that was that he needed something else. Like a lot of actors are feeling like TV is where the acting roles are now. Mm. True. I mean, I think you well know, with twenty four, um, what, what happened is he just come out of um, he kind of came out of acting retirement to do twenty four for Ricard because I I remember it being news. He saw like he he kind of he kind of gave up acting and became um, a rodeo uh, yeah. person and started yeah. riding rodeos and became quite successful at it as mm. in as in won awards for it and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I, I remember him seeing, you know, before he did that, one of the last films he made was with, um, I think it was with Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And it's called The Cowboy Way, and it's quite a mm. funny film. <laughs> mm. You know, because the two cowboys and they go into uh, Los Angeles um, and take on some, you know, drug kingpings that are running sort of like a, an immigration uh, sweatshop racket. Oh. Okay. It's it's quite a funny film. Um, it didn't really it didn't really pull well with moviegoers or or make a ton of money. Though, but it's quite funny. Um, but yeah, th- those two non-sci-fi shows. The sci-fi shows, um, obviously, for me, time after time, I'm a little bit dubious about. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's um, I don't, I it's all like um, from what I can gather, it is going to be different from the from the thing because he's going to be chasing Jack the Ripper through time, so. It's not like going to be like the uh, story you got in the film where he just chased Jack the Ripper to 1979. Oh, okay. It's, okay. It's, they, have, they have to expand the concept. It's, okay. it's going, they're going through different time periods. So in, in that respect, it could be, could be interesting if it's done well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of hoping it's done a little bit better than, um, than, than the Arthur Conan Doyle thing that's just ended. I, I caught I caught the first episode and decided it wasn't for me. So, I, I, I watched all of it, um, and it did have a few really good episodes. Mm. Um, it, it was just so like, um, it was just very, very slow to get to where it was going, mm. sort of thing. But, you know, I, 
I quite enjoyed it for what it was, but I can't see it getting picked up for another series. Ah. Uh, to be honest, it's it, it's not it's not something that's that that that, you can, that that I can see being around for a while, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. Um, but it it you know with time after time, I'm sort of like um quite interested to see see how they do it. And um, because the thing is, we got we got uh, we got Legends of Tomorrow coming back, and that's time travel. Yeah, and stuff like that. And and they've done they've handled it pretty well. Yeah, they have. They have. Um, so ring of time after time, we've been sort of like slower narrative in terms of story. Because you know, because the thing liked about the film is it was more cerebral. Yeah. Than it was sort of like um, all out action sort of thing. Yeah. Um, They've they've got, they've got to do it really well. They you know, do. There's, there's they no do. there's no there's no way they can sort of like scrimp on on budget and stuff like that and actors and that. They've got that for me in order for me to embrace that show. They're, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to sort of like be they're gonna have to be able to hit home run within the first couple of episodes. Yeah. In order for me to stick around because it's because um, it's a concept and it's a story that I very much fell in love with back in seventy nine when I seen Nicholas Nine film. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favourite films. <laughs> I watch it every Christmas because it's kind of Christmassy. Aww. Without being Christmassy, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no Christmas trees or carols or anything like that, but it just sort of feels kind of Christmassy in a sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not sure why. It might, might be the bits in Victorian London. you got these two complete fish out of water coming to, coming to the 1970s. Um, yeah. Or maybe it's the 1970s that makes it seem Christmassy to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um what yeah. Um what 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 do you think of time after time? What 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 do you want from it? Um I just I just want I just want stories I care about. Because <laughs> um, so many of these shows they they introduce the concept and the and the narrative goes kablooey. Mm-hmm. Talk mm-hmm. talking of which, um just uh just as a segue for a moment, preacher. It's slow but it could be good if they if they get a move on. Yeah, was was last night's episode any better? Because I've not seen it yet. I oh, I actually missed it. Mm-hmm. I've got to um, thank you for reminding me. I completely missed it altogether. I've, I've forgotten it was on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to watch it a little bit later on, but I'm not particularly looking forward to it after last week's episode. Yeah, because last week's episode was agonising as well and didn't really do anything to advance the story. No. Um, I'm I'm finding I'm finding Tulip to be annoying. She's more antagonistic than anything. She's coming off as antagonistic. Um, She's not bothering me. Um, Ass face is bothering me. I think they just need to write him out. You know, it's, 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 it just seems to be there for comic relief. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's not really funny. No, it, you know that that that's something that doesn't work for me. I think they should just sort of like uh, just keep him. You know, keep. Keep keep the keep the priest and the vampire and Tulip around sort of thing. Yeah, and, and yeah. Um, they, they need to go on the road. They, 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 I think part of the problem narratively is they're stuck in the same bleeding place. They yeah, need to I travel. think I think I think they I think they for TV purposes they 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 felt like they needed to establish Anvil and then have them move as opposed to making it a road show from the beginning. But I think you're right that if they just moved it along, made it made it the road show it's supposed to be, it'd be it'd be a lot zippier. Because the, you know, really, it's not got the interesting characters that True Blood had that can actually stay in the same place. No, and and the fact that the fact that I forgot episode three was even on mm. um, says a lot. Yep. Um, 
because I don't forget shows. The shows I'm connected to, I make a point of remembering them and, and keeping track. So the fact that I even forgot episode three altogether is commentary right there. Uh-huh. So I'm going to, I'm going to watch episode three, but unless it, unless it picks up, I'm not going to stick around for season two, assuming there is one. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to carry on watching it and reviewing it. But um, if it doesn't pick up, my reviews are probably going to gradually get more and more anti-preacher mm. as, as we go along. Mm. Um, I mean, I've never actually read the comic, so, you know, mm. and given how given how slow last week's was, I'm, I'm not really too encouraged to read the comic now, whereas I, mm. I, I was wanting to after the first episode, but not now. Right, right. Um, but mo- moving back on to shows that are coming up, um, another one that um, should have been out this year, actually, and I was, I, kind of, I was kind of a bit like you, I was a bit pissed off by it. Westworld. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping that they. I'm hoping that they can get it together and just get on air because they've apparently been having some production problems. Mm. And uh, I mean, is it, it, it did an actor leave or something? And it's on like through everything now. Or... Yeah, I can't remember now. But there, there were there were some there were some problems. There were some script level problems, and there were some some act actor problems. I can't remember now, but it's it's annoying, and I'm. Um, I'm 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 worried about them just mm. getting for me to be at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to get it out there because um, you know the thing is the 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 Westworld movie is one I can still watch to this day. It's just brilliant fun. They're they're great. They're great. And, I've seen them. And yeah. it's just you know it's just such a basic narrative. It's nothing nothing special. It's basically it's basically the Terminator before the Terminator. Yeah. In in, yeah. in in you know as in it's got the same it's got the same sort of like narrative only minus the time travel yeah and um, and you'll Brenner rocked yeah know. you know I, I could actually see you you know if Arnold Schwarzenegger hadn't done it you Brenner would have been Terminator I reckon yeah if he'd lived that long if he'd um, lived that long but it's sort of like um, I even seen the uh, second movie as well was it Beyond Westworld the second movie yeah that one wasn't as good it um, wasn't as good but it was all right yeah. And and then they did the did the horrible TV series, which is when it really went off the bio. Yeah. Um, but I, I tried I tried watching one episode of the TV series. I found it online. I thought it was crap. Yeah, so I think I think it was me that found it online. You probably watched it through through the site that I po- through through the thing that I posted. That might have been it. That might have been it. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think in fact that is because I because I I rewatched the Westworld Westworld movies in the wake of watching however many episodes of the series, uh, TV series I was able to get through, uh, mm. just to, just a refresher. Yeah. Yeah. I watched one episode. I couldn't, couldn't watch any more than that. Cause it was just I think so I like bad. watched one and a half. That was yeah. it. I mean, it's, what's so bad about it as well, it was, it was supposedly made in 1981, and I thought, damn, it looks like it was made in 1975. Oh, God. You know, because the picture quality on, on, on the, the sound quality on the um, on, on the video rips that someone had obviously done were just so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's one I'm looking forward to. I just can't wait to see how it turns out and... Um, because I think narratively they're trying to they're trying to do what they they try to do unsuccessfully in the TV series. Yeah, like because um, it's done by the same people who gave us the, the Battlestar reboot, 
And so this is, wait a minute. No, no, no I'm, wrong. I'm wrong. J.J. Abrams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not. I don't think it's the same people that did the Battlestar reboot. You know, no, but it's more the Alan Moore approach, though, where the, the robots uh, get their own side of the story. So, uh-huh. yeah, but the, you know, the, the thing is with Battlestar Galactica, when 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 Ron Moore re- recreated that. Uh, the robots didn't really have the other end of the story in the original uh, Battlestar. There, there were Cygons and there were actually sort of like uh, cyborgs. Um, so they're, they're part organic apparently, um, based off of an, off of a lizard race. And there was backstory for that, but it wasn't really that the original show got cancelled before they could actually really go over that properly. Mm. Um, Whereas with Westworld, the, the, the storyline was about, you know, the, in the original Westworld, it, it's more tailored to telling the robot's story point of view. Mm, yeah. Thing. Um, and it's what they tried to do in the in the 80s TV series, only unsuccessfully. Mm. Um, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see see how, how it turns out because we've got Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, no, the, 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 the cast is stellar. They can just mm. get with the script level problems sorted out. And is it Peter Wagner that's playing the cowboy? I believe or, so, yeah. Or, or is it Ed Harris? I think it's Ed Harris, isn't it? No, it's Ed Harris, you're right. Yeah, Ed I Harris. I think it's Ed Harris. Um, that's that's another bringing actor. He's song like um, he's an actor that I don't think he's, I don't think he's people sing his praises enough. No. Um, I mean, I remember him as the um, as 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 the, as the sort of like uh, NASA. Floor guy in uh, in the right stuff. Mm. No, no, actually played one of the astronauts in the right stuff, and then he was a floor guy in Apollo Eleven. That's better. On, on well, Apollo Thirteen. On Apollo yeah. Thirteen, um, sort sort of thing, and you know, he's just um, just a wonderful, wonderful actor, sort of thing. Had those sort of like character roles, and so I, I I'm quite looking forward to seeing what he does with the cowboy. Mm. But I'm a bit concerned that um, he might be a bit old for it. Well, Yul Brenner was a touch old for it at the time, so you know, who knows? Yeah, Yul Brenner didn't really look that old for it though, at the time. That's true. That's true. Um, Harris has Harris has an aged as well. You know, so think think what you know. I, I want to know what what moisturizer Yul Brenner was using. You know, if he was just sort of like the sweat from his bald head or something, or <laughs> or, or whatever. Um, you know, because he didn't really look that old in the no. last world. He, 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 he didn't really look too much beyond 30s. Yeah, and he thing. was. So. And, and, but apparently he was. He was sort of like uh, heading towards his 50s, wasn't he? Yeah. When he did Westworld. Yeah. And uh, the other show, um, Van Helsing. Yeah, that one's just going to be a rob. Um, you know, that should just be fun for fun's sake. Or it should, hopefully it is. Or it could just be crap. It's hard to tell. Um, I don't, I don't care. Just as long as it's not like, uh, like that new cowboy one that's been done out of Canada by the same people as Lost World, based on the comic book. Oh, uh, Winona Earp. Yeah, I tried yeah. one episode, one episode of that and bailed. Yeah, I, I watched. I was the same. Watched one episode of that and bailed. I mean, there's, there's an article here on a. Uh, on, on io9 it says uh sci-fi's van helsing tv show is already completely ridiculous and i thought does she mean that from a fun point of view or is she calling it completely ridiculous because she'd prefer something that was dark and gritty mm. you know it's, it's, I'm, I'm i'm over dark and gritty so I'm, I'm ready for i'm ready for fun ridiculous at this point i, 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 I feel like dark and gritty has gone too far yeah, yeah, I, 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 I sort of, I, I, I kind of never bought into dark and gritty anyway. I watch no. it, I watch it every now and again, but I try to balance it out with the, um, with, with the, with, with the more 
the more the more fun stuff. Yeah. Like yeah. librarians and warehouse thirteen and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean like I'm watching Game of Thrones and or or, or I will when they're when it's available on VOD and I'm, and I will watch also um Penny Dreadful and I love both those shows very much, but those are my dark shows. Everything else I tried to be, you know, a little lighter. Mm-hmm. But um, in Van Helsing is the storyline. Apparently, Vanessa is resurrected from Van Helsing. She's kind of Van Helsing's daughter, and she's resurrected. Uh, she's resurrected to lead mankind um, in a in a battle against the ruining vampire class. Mm. Uh, so she's not much a hunter, and she's not as much a hunter as she is a terrorist vamp, <laughs> and she is a terrorist of vampire society. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, that's dangerous! You know, war on terror plots. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the, the show's announced several characters uh, and, and cast members. Uh, they also were uh, delightfully bonkers. You've got Jonathan Scar from Hang On Wheels, um, and he's played a character called Atzel, um, who's apparently a career marine with unwavering devotion and loyalty to both duty and his wards, uh, despite years of isolation and endless vampire attacks. <laughs> mm. He's joined by Christopher Heyendahl from, from Sanctuary. Oh, and also oh hang, he's, he's always good. Hang on wheels. As Sam, a survivor of the Vampire Rising, and David Kubit uh, from this series, Ray Donovan, as John, uh, another survivor who is fueled by anger, prejudice and suspicion. Mm. So it sounds like it's shaping up to be quite bonkers. I think I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. And, you know, it can't be any worse than the film. No, no, it might even be better. It probably will be better because the film was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and it, it was painfully bad. I wanted to like it more because of of, uh, of uh, Hugh... Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, yeah. Yeah, and you also had uh, Kate Beckinsdale. Yeah, although I, I don't rate her very much. Um, she's one of those... Uh, actresses who's managed to get by be, by being surrounded by much stronger supporting cast. Um, I don't know that with her coming from the UK, um, I'd probably make an argument for her. Um, mm, that might it might just be the script because I've I've seen her in the in the um. Oh Lord, I'm blanking out. I think it is the scripts. I mean, I think she was. Yeah. Very, I think she was very good at Celine in the Underworld movies. That was the Underworld. Yeah, the, she the scripts for Underworld were really really bad, and I quit after the third one because they just kept killing off the uh, most interesting characters. Mm. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, you know, she she's she's in a film with Bill Nighy and um, and and um, all, all, the, all these great character actors, she isn't really going to shine too much. Where if you watch Pearl Harbor, when she's in that with, um, is it Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck, Ben yeah. Affleck and the other guy. Yeah. Um, she, she holds her own. In fact, she, 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 she's actually better than the two guys that are in that. Mm, okay, so it's, so it's the scripts. Um, okay. Yeah, so, so it is the scripts. And, and Pearl Harbor wasn't especially a great script either. Mm, okay. um, you know, it's, um, because it's kind of like a romantic dramedy, well, sort of a romantic drama, which um, sort of like kind of descended into comedy mm, <laughs> in the middle okay. bit. Um, but I, I think I think it's the scripts because she she's from, um, you know, her father was um, was actually um, a, a great actor, um, and he was in things like Porridge with Ronnie Barker and and and, and stuff like that. Um, but he died young, and and um, and she got her break here in the UK. Um, I think I think she was in a show called London's Burning for its final couple of seasons. 
before she sort of moved over to the States and, and, and broke out. And I think Pearl Harbor was kind of like her breakout role mm, okay. in the okay. States. So, um, I don't know, I mean, so like, um, the, the script for Van Helsing was pretty put piss poor. It was. So she, she, you know, if, if, um, if Hugh Jackman, uh, couldn't carry that off. What what chance did she have? Really? No, I mean, it, no, they were they were screwed. Yeah, you know it's um it, it's one of those. I I just don't think she's been 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 lucky enough to get too many decent scripts. Yeah, yeah. they all go to uh they all go to all these has beens that keep winning Oscars. You know, people like Meryl Streep and and what's the what's the name the British one that played the Queen Helen Mirren. <laughs> You know, these 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 two women need to stop winning all these accolades to sort of make room for some of the younger blood that's coming through. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm joking, um, uh-huh. but you know there is part of that, and um, I think that's the last show, isn't it, Van Helsing? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I think um, on that note, um, it's probably a good time to hand over to our interview with uh, Simon Ammon. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Musketeers, which. I've got to admit, I've seen the first two episodes. I'm actually liking it a bit more this season. Cool, cool. You know, because they they kind of um, they kind of going more towards social justice and um, and I've got to say, Rupert Everett's thing and is he's kind of a slow burn. You know, he's, he's you know he, he's not quite as compelling as uh, as Rochefort was. Oh, that's Mark Warren for you, bless. But you know, he, he's a little bit like Capaldi's um, Capaldi's Cardinal Richelieu, I think. Mm, in, yeah. In, in the sense that he's quite sneaky and un- underhanded. But mm-hmm. the, the the interesting thing about this villain is apparently he's. Uh, he, he he wasn't born into money. He's actually oh. risen from from. He's risen through the ranks. Which in that society at that time is is miraculous. So, mm-hmm. so and um, and he's got he's got a drug problem. Oh dear. Okay. Because he's got he's he's got something he's got he's got something wrong. Might 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 be something. I can't. I don't know what it is. I've not really explained it, but he's on medication for it, and he's he's blatantly over medicating himself. <laughs> Oh, okay. You know, it's so like keep out of pain. Um, but he's he's quite quite an interesting uh, character. But he's he's going to be kind of slow burn. I think think it's so like uh, we've not really seen too much from him yet. Uh, okay. Thing, in, in these first two episodes. Uh, but yeah. So now it's over to uh, my interview with Simon Allen. to welcome um, Simon Allen to the show. Um, he's a, you know, a TV writer and executive producer now, eh? I am, yes. Of of the um, of the new Musketeers, the 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 uh, Musketeers series, which is sadly in its final series. That's correct. Last series, series three, BBC One, Saturday nights, eight thirty. Sorry to get that in, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, so like, um, is it is it going to be eight thirty every week? Well, it's it's it was supposed to be eight thirty, uh, and it, it was nine thirty for episode one. Episode two, mm. I don't know when this is going out, is is going to be eight thirty. And I believe episode three is going to be eight thirty, but maybe on a Sunday. So they're moving us around quite a bit. Mm. But um, yeah, definitely the idea is that that, that we've made a pre watershed uh, version of the series this time. Yeah, so so it's kind of floating around to uh, yeah. prevent itself from being stung. Yes, kind, um, kind of. Yes. Yeah, really tasteless metaphor. 
Well, you know, Simon, it's uh, it's funny because we've actually spoke before. Oh, not actually spoke before, but we we did do something in email, and um, you know, and and I learned this to my surprise. And this was back when you was um, promoting a kids project you was on called Fables of Forgotten Things. Um, and at the time, uh, yeah, no, it was. Um, it, God, we were saying, weren't we? It was about eight years ago, nine years ago, and um, and it was, it was. You were great. You were really supportive of the project, and lots of people have been very kind about it. We shot, uh, as you remember, a pilot, um, and one of the. Uh, now that's an interesting thing because neither you nor I realised that we we had corresponded before. But even even more interesting, I guess, is the fact that um, that project was built around uh, uh, an, an actor called Paul McGann, who obviously a lot of your listeners will know very well. Mm-hmm. from Doctor Who, and um, on this series of Musketeers, one of my absolute kind of missions was to get Paul McGann into an episode, uh, because I absolutely love him, I think he's amazing, and uh, we did actually make that happen, we got him into episode four, um, we, and he's fantastic, so um, it's, it's all kinds of um, strange uh, synergies coming to pass between us, Ian. <laughs> yeah, well, all I need now is, um, I, th- I think you've already had Idris Elba in an episode, haven't you? The Musketeers? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I don't think so, no, I think I'd know about that i i, I didn't see him oh uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it was colin salmon sorry I was um, colin salmon no uh, yes no colin salmon was in uh, a brilliant episode um in series two uh yes he was fantastic he mm-hmm. was really really good and he had a daughter and it was a brilliant story well we've got to get idris elba and patterson joseph and try and get them in the same episode <laughs> they're amazing actors we would have loved to have had either of those in, in our show but um but sadly that didn't happen but we've got an amazing guest cast on series three really really amazing um lots of uh You've already mentioned Paul McGann. We've got uh, Mira Sayal's in an episode. Robert Glenister comes and, and, and appears in a couple of episodes for us. We've been really, really lucky this season. Oh, Robert Glenister. It's a pity you couldn't, go, couldn't have had him last year. Um, well, you know, we had, we had some amazing people in Series 2. I mean, obviously, I, I was only involved at the end of Series 2. I wrote the, the series finale. But, um, but I think one of the, the things with Musketeers is they, they've always been, even before we took the show over, really, really lucky with the people that, They've been prepared to travel out to Prague and and work on the show. I mean, had truly an extraordinary guest cast to complement what is, for my money, one of the best ensemble casts in any show anywhere in the world. I think we've. Uh, oh wow, we've got thunder. Cool. Yeah, we should tell your listeners that uh, we are doing this interview in the middle of a thunderstorm, so um, they may hear some action in the background. Yep, um, and uh, also uh, just to let the listeners know, uh, Simon's TARDIS um, apparently isn't working very well at the moment. So. <laughs> no, no, very, very much so. Um, but yeah, back to guest guest stars. Uh, no, we've, uh, the show has always attracted amazing guest talent. It really has, and uh, Series Three's no exception. It really isn't, and I think that as you see, have you seen the whole series, uh, Ian, or are you um, you kind of just episode? Well, have you watched the whole series illegally? Perhaps lots of people have watched it online. Have you, have you caught all the episodes? Or I've only caught all the episodes of the first two series. Oh, okay, right, and right. Um, you know, and and the first episode of the um, of the third series, and that's all I've uh, seen right. so far. Um, uh, okay. I'm, I'm not I sure. If... Lots of lots of people have seen the um, the whole of series three because it's been online for ages. But uh, it's uh, we, we honestly we just. Episode three, for example, which is on in a couple of weeks, uh, Richard Dormer is in that. Richard Dormer, you may know from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. He's also the lead in, in a show called Fortitude for Sky. He's just incredible. And um, we, we just feel so fortunate to have got the people that we've had. Um, and I really think that it, it elevates the show. It really kind of tells everybody that we mean business, you know, and that we're very serious about this and, and are committed to making the best show we, we possibly can. So. 
Yeah, what would you say has been been the most challenging aspect of uh, of of writing and working on Musketeers for you? Because um, it's it's very different from from the book by Alexander Dumas. It's kind of more of a procedural um, series, isn't it, Ringy? Well, it can be. I mean, I think that um, I think one of the obviously when we took the show over at the beginning of um, or the end of series two, Adrian Hodges um, had been very good to us. He brought us onto the show in the first place, and we'll always be very grateful to him for that. But one of the things he said to us was just make it your own, you know. So we looked at the first two series and, and, you know, as he wanted us to, as he expected us to, we, we took them apart and we looked at what we felt worked and what, what we felt didn't work. And and really, I think the procedural episodes, although we do have one or two episodes where they're, they're like cops, we, we felt they, those weren't really uh, what we wanted to do. What we The big change we wanted to make was to put them under pressure all of the time, every week in a way that we felt quite often that didn't happen in the previous two series. And, and we were very, there was some, a lot of wonderful coverage of the first two series, but a common recurrent theme in the reviews was the fact that, that, that you never really felt the Musketeers were in danger or, mm-hmm. or, or were going to lose, you know. So we wanted to really unsettle the audience and make them feel like there was a, a, a very real chance the Musketeers could either die, get hurt, get maimed, something bad could happen to them in jail, you know every single week um and and i think we've achieved that particularly by episode three i think you're really feeling that um and part of that i guess is that we've set this um structure in place where the musketeers are kind of like they're not cops but they're they're, they've kind of got broader concerns this year than they had before They're, they're there to protect the king and serve the king but Actually, they develop conscience, a social conscience, mm-hmm. and they realise that there's something very wrong with Paris and something very wrong with the society that they are a part of. And, and quite often in the early part of the series, they realise that they're on the wrong side of the fight. Because I, I, I think, that again, going back to the idea that we looked at the first two series to see what we liked and what we didn't like, you know, sometimes I was a little unclear about what they stood for. You know, I understood that they were uh, the king's guard, but I found that quite an unsympathetic position because it was really... It was really like kind of all that was at stake was that a rich person might lose out or a rich person might not, you know, make as much money or whatever, you know. And I felt that it was always much more interesting to put the musketeers in the gutter and to, and to put them kind of on the side of the poor people and, and on, the, on the side of the, uh, the oppressed. And I, th- I think we've done that. Uh, I really do. Uh, we, by episode two, you're sort of we've established a big settlement and a slum in Paris. Um, which is full of characters and full of stories that really collide and, and, and oh, there goes the thunder again, really challenge the boys in a, in a, in a, in a quite a new and interesting way, I think, for the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, one one thing that I've liked from about the series all the way through, and it's the same thing that I really enjoy about, you know, the old Richard Nestor Nestor 70s films, which, oh, wow, are, yeah. which those are my favourite, that's my yeah. actually my all-time favourite um, interpretation, The Musketeers on right. film. With, mm. with those, um, but I kind of like the camaraderie, and I like you know I like the way in the first episode he kind of brought that uh, back into it a little bit. You know the you know the the the, um, the trouble that Atos was having with um, I forget the name of the uh, the one that song I, was the monk was the priest Aramis Aramis. Yeah. Um, you know, the the fact that, you know, Atos was um pretty pissed with Aramis and I love the fact that you, you, you actually set this four years after, you know, what well, what, was, what happened. Yeah, it was it was actually um Porthos, I think, that had the most antagonism towards uh, um Aramis at the beginning of, of, of series three. Um, and, and that was because we, we wanted to obviously we were gonna put the band back together at the beginning of the series because it's the Musketeers. 
And I, I should say that that was another thing that we really tried to do as Series 3. We felt um, quite a lot of the comments on the previous two series, and we, we didn't disagree with these, actually, was that the, the Musketeers themselves weren't at the centre of the show quite often. You know, quite often they were dominated by a guest story or something else, you know. And, and this time we really tried to put them, you know, front and centre of the show. So you know when a show's called The Musketeers that even if Aramis isn't with them, which he, he isn't because at the end of Series 2 he went off to a monastery... You, you are going to be putting that band back together. So we tried to have fun with that in episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the, the idea that the boys, the, the three boys, uh, Doug Tanyan, Porthos and Athos, who've been at war for four years, uh, all have exactly the same attitude towards their brother when they see him again, it, it would, would have been really boring. So we tried to kind of delineate them. We felt that, that Athos and Doug Tanyan would have broadly supportive attitudes towards Aramis and would be happy to see him. But actually Porthos... He thinks about things quite deeply and quite profoundly, just like the actor who plays him, Howard Charles does, uh, you know, would, would actually hold Aramis to account a little more, you know, and would actually be rather more upset about the fact that he walked away from them at the end of the, the previous series and left them to go and fight the war on their own. And you're right, it's, it's about camaraderie. But I, again, I always saw the Musketeers, this iteration of the Musketeers, Adrian, Adrian Hodges' iteration of the Musketeers, it was less about sort of, brotherhood which is a pretty obvious concept and more about you know they're like a family really i think and i think we really this year in series three we really expand that idea that they're like a family because you know with this series we see them develop their own families we see them you know without wanting to spoil it too much that they're there may be one or two musketeer babies this series you know and i think that's some um, symptom of a show that's 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 growing up you know it's 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 getting uh more mature it's a good thing, I think. I hope people agree. Mm. Well, taking things back a little bit, you got to write the uh, series two finale of the show yeah. in which we saw Rochefort, who was brilliantly played by um, by, by oh, Mark Warren. Yeah. Was it? Um, you know, did, did you actually pinch yourself a little bit when you actually realised you were writing for Mark Warren as oh, Rochefort? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing because I, I, um, I, I, my ex- exposure to Musketeer, I mean, I watched the first series and absolutely loved it. And I was an Adrian Hodges fan. I mean, uh, you know, and I made no secret of saying that to him when I met him. Uh, I think he was pretty embarrassed, actually. But, uh, you know, I loved, I loved Survivors. Uh, I loved so much of his work. And I was so familiar with his work. So I was kind of, when I had the first meeting with him, to, which was basically an interview for the job, yeah, I was just happy to meet the guy, really, and he was he was absolutely lovely. And that produced it went very well. It was a very strange meeting actually because I cut myself in it, which is a very, I guess a very musketeer thing to do. And I, I had, like, had like a paper cut, and the whole meeting I was bleeding profusely over the table. And Adrian kept kind of going, "Do you, do you need to get you out?" Know, I was going, "Nope, it's fine. I'm going to carry on." You know, and uh, so I thought I have to show him that I'm like a musketeer. Uh, and then I nearly passed out at the end of the meeting, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I did. But uh, and they, that produced um, actually they offered me episode four, which was um, I think ended up being called Emily and was about kind of a Joan of Arc character. And um, I it was a combination of things really. It was the the, the I was quite busy with a, another show, a show called Spotless, um, which uh, I wrote an episode for. Um, and I, I kind of the story didn't grab me at that point, although I think the story that they ended up writing was fantastic. So I, I kind of was I was honest. Adrian had said to me, "Be honest, you know, don't don't kind of pull your punches if it's not for you. If you don't think you can do it in the time, do say so." So I, I had to kind of heartbreakingly say, "You know what." Uh, thank you very much, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. Then about a week later, I was absolutely gutted. Uh, they phoned up and they offered me episode 10. And, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, I pinched myself because I, I kind of thought that would be fish in the barrel. You know, that would just be like, wow, it would be all payoffs. And, and it wasn't like that at all because 
what happened was Adrian brilliantly said to me, you know, this episode, because it is vision about, because you've got all these strands to pay off, it's going to be all about the execution. You know, it's going to be all about how you do this and how you give me these scenes that I'm expecting to see, you know. And uh, and very happily for me, I mean, I, I was so thrilled. I mean, I, you know, I was there till right at the end, you know, shooting. I wrote the whole script. I was, uh, and it was, um, it was just a fantastic experience. And, and, I, and I couldn't, I mean, we went to set on the last day of filming and saw Mark Warren's death and saw him fighting the boys. And um, yeah, we got to see that final fight. And, uh, and Mark Warren was just uh, amazing. But it was, what really impressed me about that, actually, and it's something that I think the fans particularly, I wish they could, I wish we could expose them to this and show them. But the, these boys, these actors and the girls, they put so, they work so hard. And when you see them do an action scene or a fight scene, even that fight scene at the end of series two, my God, it is genuinely physically exhausting. I mean, it sounds like, you know, people think, oh, actors, you know, but it really is. They really do kill themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, for you. And, and I think that really impressed upon me when we, when we went back to our writer's room for series three. You know, God, we've really got to try for these guys. We've really got to give them something that's worthy of them because... They work so hard, so you know every single one of us needs to work just as hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know what you mean, and I, I know what you mean from the actor's point of view as well, because um, I actually uh, did fate studies years and okay. years ago <laughs> um, yeah. at Abraham Moss. Um, I, I I was actually I actually had the grades to go to university if I wanted to, but I, I didn't bother in the end. No, um, there's lots of paths in life, and I don't think all of them have to go down the same road. It would be boring if they did, wouldn't it? So, well, yeah, it, it it is hard work, and you know, yeah, and, and I even did a bit of TV back in back in the day, but it's only it's sort of like little bits of TV, yeah. and that's hard work, and a lot of hanging around for actors. <laughs> Do you know what? You're right. I mean, that's the thing I find about I I, I love going into set because but usually on series three. Uh, going to set was all about kind of making contact with a, a few cast members, checking in with them, seeing how they're doing, seeing how they're feeling about the stories and the scripts, you know. But it was, I couldn't do it. I mean, I just, I, you're right, I get very, very bored uh, on set. And uh, it's like, sometimes it's absolutely lovely to see to see what they're doing. But to be honest, most of the time, it's better just to go back, check out the rushes at the end of the day uh, and go from there. I, I find um, I find being on set, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's hard graft, it's attrition. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like permanently being in confession. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, absolutely. To... <laughs> and I think... I mean, all of them. I mean, I really am, and what they can do, and and you know, um, I mean, the the actors. So again, I go back to. It, I'm going to be singing their praise a lot, but I, you know, the our core cast are just. You find me a show that has such a strong ensemble. I mean, from Ryan Gage and Ali Dowling, Tamla. You know, we we just have this incredible. We were so fortunate to find these people at this point in their careers, and I, and I must credit um, Jess Pope. Um, and Adrian really for putting that cast together on on series one. I just think they did such an incredible job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, is there is there an ep- is there any episode from series three that you're particularly proud of that you want to really big up? I mean, I'm proud of all of them. If I'm honest, I think they all had their own unique challenges. Some were easier to put together than others. Um, I'm really, really proud of the first episode. I think that we we really nailed something there because we were always. One of the first ideas I had in my notebook uh, for series three, which I, you know, I, I, I should also credit my my co-showrunner Simon J. Ashford, who wrote that um, episode. But the, one of the first ideas I took to the writers' room was this idea of doing a story of where children idolise the Musketeers, they look up to them, and they've kind of mythologised their adventures from the previous series and the previous years. 
And then they, they get to meet the real musketeers because I thought, you know, one of the themes of this show, I think, is, it, it, particularly series three, is about what it, you know, what it means to be a musketeer. You know, what it, what it's, what it should mean, and, and and how can that apply to us now in the 21st century, living our lives in this strange, upside down world? Um, and I think, I hope that from that first episode where you see children kind of mythologizing them, mythologizing the adventures and the heroism of D'Artagnan, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis right the way through to the very last moments of episode 10, where we tried to do something that I won't spoil for you, but it's um, was something I developed with uh, with Tom Burke, actually on a Skype call, very much like this one, with, with uh, a very dodgy connection and, and thunder in the background. Uh, uh, it was something that, it was kind of like saying something to the audience, really, um, about what it is to be a musketeer, and if you're going to take anything at all from, from this show, what you should take from it. Um, so I hope, I hope, I guess if you in answer your question, I think episode one and episode ten are, are, the, are the two that I'm most proud of, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. The book ends. <laughs> the book ends very much. So. Yeah, um, it's kind. Of, I'm kind of sad, really, that this is going to be the last series. Um, do you think there's any hope that you, you might get picked up for a full series if 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 this does? particularly well in ratings or or is it well, not about ratings it's very interesting it's it's um i've been asked that question a lot i know i know jess pope the executive the other executive producer the big boss on the show uh, who we all love and is amazing uh she she gets asked it a lot it, 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 there's some it's a really simple situation with musketeers actually it, it, it was financed mostly by bbc worldwide the show exists and continued to exist from series to series because of foreign sales really because it, it, it although it had a spectacular launch with the first episode. The truth is that, that you know, it, it lost quite a lot of its audience across those early episodes, or its initial audience at least. And I think that, that although, we, you know, there's been a lot of reaction lately to the show, I mean, we talked earlier at the top of the interview about scheduling and 8.30 and 9.30 and all of that. Um, but I, I kind of feel sorry for the schedulers because the show domestically has a good, loyal audience, but it's a small audience. It's not an audience that's going to put a dent in, in Britain's Got Talent on the night. You know, it's not an audience that, you know, they can, it's not big enough for schedulers to be able to weaponize the show, you know, which is what they do. They have to do it. They have to try and win slots. And that may change one day, but that's how this is still built, this business, you know. And so Musketeers has always been about the international audience. It's always been about the consolidated audience, the audience that watch online, the, the catch-up audience. Um, and I think that three series when, of a show like that is actually a phenomenal achievement. And, and it was always the plan that, that Series 3, very, very early on, I mean, I, mean, I think we, we hadn't even written the first draft of the first scripts. We were writing them, but we knew this was going to be the last series. Um, and we've known, you know, for over a year or a year and a half or whatever it's been. And and so, no, there's not really any chance for, for, for the reasons that, you know, commercial reasons, because we've struck the sets and, you know, no everybody's out of contract, but also creative reasons, because we were writing an ending with Series 3. You know, we were, we were always writing an ending. And, and, and to go again with Musketeers, you would be, it would be a different Musketeers. It would have to be another reboot, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's pity, but then again, you know, uh, I'm I'm just gonna I'm, I've just I've got series one and two on Amazon. Oh yeah, I, I actually bought them. Bless you. <laughs> so, Bless you. Um, so I've got them to watch again, and um, and you know, I've also got the Richard Nestor movies on DVD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I wish that I wish Amazon Video would do them streaming though. <laughs> oh right, no, I, I yeah, yeah, sure. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, I can always revisit them, but it is kind of a shame, you know. It's a shame that there's no potential for maybe TV movies or anything like that. Because well, again, though, I would say that, that, that we knew we were writing an ending, and I'm not sure how you would do that now. I, I, you know, there, it's a very, very definite ending. I think the joy of, of, of the Musketeers, you know, Adrian Hodges' uh, Musketeers and our take on Adrian Hodges' Musketeers with Series 3 is that these 30 episodes will always exist. You know, they will always be a very definitive version. With, with you know, I have to say, it again, an, a truly extraordinary cast of people who, in 10 years' time, you're going to look and, and be looking at Tom Burke and Luke Pascalino and Ali Downey and all these, Ryan Gage, all these amazing actors and be saying, you know, oh, where did they come from? And you'll discover them again. You know, you'll mm-hmm. see, look, they came from Musketeers. They were in Musketeers. We were so fortunate to get these people so early in their careers. Um, so I think we've got, you know, I, I, I hope, and certainly that seems to be the case with um, Hulu, you know, where the, uh, all three seasons have just gone on Hulu in America. And lots of people are discovering the first series for the first time and, and binge-watching all 30 episodes and getting through to the end and tweeting us and emailing us and saying the most wonderful things. And I hope that, that, that this will be a, a gem that people continue to discover, you know, in the future. And it's, it's been such an honour to be a small part of that uh, at its end. Mm-hmm. Um, going off the Musketeers for now, because this is... Um, I'm going to sure. go, go back to a little bit earlier in your career. <laughs> uh, not too much here. You're song. Okay. Probably only talking about 2012, I think. Yeah. Um, you did a series um, that I particularly enjoyed. What I managed to see of it called Haunted, ah, yes. um, which yes. you worked on with X Files writer Frank Spotnitz. Now, yeah. first off, did you find the experience of work? How, how did you find the experience of working with Frank? And what do you think you learned from having done that show that may, maybe you've carried over onto Musketeers? Well, you know, the thing I'd say about, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm going to sound sentimental now. I am sentimental, actually. But, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, um, I'm, what am I, 41 years old now. When I was 19, uh, I, I lived in a town called Hastings, and um, I was a bit of a tear away. And uh, I had a, me and my wife, actually, she is now, um, we had a baby. Uh, so we were, we were kind of, had a very troubled, well, not troubled, but a difficult start to life. You know, we were very young, we didn't have much money. And um, it looked like we were not really going anywhere. And thanks to my wife, who, who was completely determined to push us and make us go to university, even though it was very challenging in the mid-90s with a baby, um, we did that. We pulled it off and, you know, we managed to kind of um, progress, I guess. But back then, uh, living in a kind of a, um, a flat in Hastings, there used to be this show that would come on. And I guess I'm talking 1995 now. And it was The X-Files, 95, mm-hmm. 96. And every uh, time an episode, and I loved it, I was obsessed with it. You know, I thought, oh, God, it's the most amazing thing. And every time uh, an episode came on and I saw one name always used to stick out because it was such an unusual name, Spotnitz, you know, Frank Spotnitz, executive producer, writer, you know. And I always used to wonder, God, who is that guy? And, you know, it was kind of like Steven Spielberg to me, you know, this kind of iconic, cool, very distinctive name on this amazing show. And I, and I can't tell you what a, an extraordinary, surreal experience it was many, many years later from that, you know, really humble beginning, difficult beginning in life for me and, and my family, uh, to be sat in a writer's room with this guy and, and to find him as, as I do, you know, now. I mean, I'm, we're still in touch with friends. Uh, you know, he, he's just one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. I mean, he, he's a, a mentor, a phenomenal storyteller, an incredible writer, a leader. And, and on Hunted, I mean, the, the things I learned from him, uh, I kept, we would be here for a year, you know, um, 
But I think one of the things was, was equanimity. It was trying to be, he, he treats people with such respect, whoever you are. You know, I mean, one of the things that, that very early on he started doing was we'd have like, um, I mean, I'm trying to think how old I was when I did Hunted. I'm mid thirties when I did Hunted, I guess, because I started quite late in this industry. And, uh, you know, you'd write like an outline for your episode or you'd write like a storyline for another episode or you'd, you'd write a script. Mm-hmm. Frank might have some uh, student in there, right? Some 18-year-old student who, you know, because he's always so kind and he always gives people opportunities and helps them out if he can. And then write to him and say, hey, can we come to your writer's room? And Frank would give them your script and, uh, you know, have them critique it, right? But the thing is, he, he so what, what's interesting about that is the fact that he, he empowers people, whoever you are, you know, whether you're a young person with little experience looking to get on the ladder, he empowers you. And he applies those standards. He applies that applies the kind of scrutiny to, that he expects of his writers to himself. So he would give his own script to you and say, "Give me some notes on it." And you'd say, uh, "Oh, I, I think it's great." And he'd go, "Come on, man! I, you know, I don't believe I'm that good that you've got no notes." And he'd actually send you an email that was quite kind of cross or terse, you know. And the guy just he just never stops, and he's just so humble and so hardworking and so talented. I I, I think. The one thing I tried to take from him was was equanimity, trying to treat people kindly, trying to give everybody an opportunity and trying to respect everybody in that room, everybody's opinions, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've actually interviewed Frank a couple of years back uh, when he was when he did the second X Files movie, which unfortunately was didn't go down too well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I got to interview him for the DVD release of that, I think. Did you? Wow. Um, He's great, right? You love him. Yeah, he was a really nice guy. I really yeah. enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed speaking with him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so like, um, if, if I was a writer, well, I, I am kind of a writer, but, you know, not, not, yeah. not in the style that, that you guys do. I don't write fiction or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but if if I did, he he he's certainly one of one 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 of the people that I'd be be, be aspiring to work with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he's. Um... It's just incredible, and it, uh, and the energy as well. To to I mean, on Hunted, he was across absolutely everything, not just scripts, not just stories, but you know, he really did that job. I mean, that was something on Musketeers. I think I I when I became executive producer on Musketeers, you know, I tried to work as hard as Frank did. I don't think I did work as hard as Frank did or does, but you know, he he cared about every detail of the show, uh, even the kind of makeup, everything. He was across every single aspect of it and uh because he he believes that if you're running a show you run it you know you run every single dimension of it and and i think that's good you should live and breathe it you know um but he is an inspiring man an inspiring figure without a doubt mm-hmm. well in the last time the last time we actually spoke for that email back in 2008 yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of enjoying going back to that because uh, you yeah. know I, i've kind of come on quite a bit since then as well yeah. Um, one one things we did we did ascertain is that you're as much of a fan of the stuff as you are a writer. Definitely. And um, I'm I'm just wondering, uh, what would you say have been some of the highlights for you um, as a TV viewer uh, since you know between 2008 and now? Because there's been so many great genre genre shows yeah. come and go in in that time. Yeah, no, there have been. Um, God, that's put me on the spot, actually. That, that specific period, that's interesting. There are so many. Um, I mean, to be honest, the interesting thing, though, for me, I don't know if you find this, uh, uh, is that I, my wife gets infuriated by this, but I, I tend to watch the same things over and over again, you know, and uh, quite a specific set of things. So I tend uh-huh. to watch kind of the same movies over and over again, try and 
I don't know why, maybe it's this nostalgia or something. Well, like I watch Jaws twice a year, I think. And, you know, it's really a, kind of a strange thing. And I never get bored, never get bored. Um, I mean, I think Peaky Blinders is a show that I really admire. Um, I really enjoy, like millions of other people. Um, I just think it's uncompromising. I think it has its own rhythms, particularly this, this series that's, that's transmitting right now. I think it's just so bold and brave with what it's doing. It's not afraid to, to slow down or speed up according to whatever it is that Steve Knight is going after it just has such drive, such energy. Um, that would be one. Um, I think Doctor Who obviously has always been uh, a very brave, ambitious, inventive show. Um, I, I particularly loved the Russell T Davis era era of that, um, and David Tennant. I thought was amazing. Loved Christopher Eccleston, but that was obviously before two thousand and eight, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think what else there's been. Um, I love Ray Donovan. I don't know if you watched that. From, I've uh, never actually seen it, but I've been. I've had people continually telling me to watch Ray Donovan. Yeah, no, so. it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, particularly the the more recent series, it's really become something else. You know, and it's a fascinating. I I kind of see it as a fable of a of working class. Uh, I don't know, it's kind of being working class, kind of that idea that there'll never be enough money, there'll never be enough power, you know, there was, it was interesting that there was a, one of the many interviews that people replayed with David Bowie and after his awful, awful sad death this year was um, one where someone said to him in the 80s, you know, you, you've got so much money, Mr Bowie, why do you keep going, you know, and this would have been at a point where I think perhaps the music wasn't wasn't quite clicking the way it had in the past. And he turned around and said, I'm working class, mate. There'll never be enough money. I'll, you know, I'll always be worrying about my children, my grandchildren, something. Mm-hmm. I think Ray Donovan is very much about that. I mean, I think in the third or fourth series, he's trying to buy a football team or something. It's absolutely insane, you know. But it's about that kind of working class hunger and, and the kind of the kind of desire that, um, I mean, in a way, it's, we tapped into it with the, the bad guy Grimo in series three of Musketeers. We have this idea that if you come from the gutter, if you come from nothing... The kind of fires you have to light to get yourself out of that never stop burning, and they almost consume you in the end. You know, and that's certainly something that that, that happens to our bad guy Grimo in series three of the Musketeers. And I think it's something that's inside Ray Donovan. You know, um, who is from Boston that finds himself in LA. So I really recommend that. But I think that's probably now I'm saying it one of my favourite shows of all time. I think it's amazing. I must check it out. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the things I I'm watching at the moment that you know. Um, Obviously, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, I love Game of Thrones. We've, um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy that, yeah. I'm, I'm ringing of Penny Dreadful. Oh, I haven't seen that. Which I, is... I, I, I know of it, yeah. It's in its third series now. It's um, currently airing on Sky Atlantic. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it's absolutely amazing, you know. We've got all these channels and these song like uh, hundreds of reality TV shows that I never watch. But there's also tons and tons of of, of new genre shows. We're, we're, yeah. we're very lucky if when if you look back to how it was in song like perhaps song like seventies, um, eighties, and and I'd say up to around about the late nineties. Yeah, you know the, the the amount of different genres of television that we we have now is just unbelievable. Well, there's, is yeah, is there too much? I guess is the a debate one could have, isn't it? You know, uh, uh, is there too much content? Too many choices? I don't know, um, or is that just a, a stupid thing to say? Maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't yeah. know. It's a, you know, it's 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 a tough one. I mean, sometimes I I wonder, you know, what it'd be like if um, if if the TV um, just stopped transmitting after midnight like it used to when I was a kid. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I think I remember that. I think I vaguely... But I also remember... Um, I, I remember being... Uh, what was I? So, yeah, a kid in the 80s, I got my first black and white television. 
And uh, I remember staying up very, very, very late indeed and watching kind of very old movies. And Crofton V uh, would be on. Do you remember V? from the 80s and I yeah. remember uh, there was this thing called Late Night Late and we lived in the TVS area which is down south and uh, they, they always used to have this thing where they'd get they try and make it sound like it was being curated so they'd put some guy in like a little tiny studio like a tiny little box studio it was a bit like the broom cupboard with mm-hmm. uh, CBBC and he'd uh, he'd sit there and he'd introduce all the programmes and, uh, and it was the most, it was the weirdest thing, but it was wonderful. So he'd introduce like an episode of V or he'd introduce like some old uh, science fiction film or whatever. And I'd, I'd often be up till like three or four in the morning. I had a tragic, tragic life. Look at that. <laughs> we never, we never actually had the guy in the box. What we did, what we had is we had this, uh, you know, in the nineties, you're talking about late eighties, early nineties when, yeah. when, when 24 hour television really just yeah. started. I guess um, yeah. we we had this um, ITV usually after around about so like midnight it'd go over to nighttime and you'd have this sort of like really stupid Americanized voiceover going nighttime oh really you know and you know thought we try and do scare me to death. <laughs> There was a show, uh, you're making me think now, i better say it, otherwise I'll, I'll never remember it again. Cinema Tractions, did you ever have that? that um, was in, it was like half an hour and it was like all the latest and it was the only way, because this was pre-internet, wasn't it? Something like 89, 90. Mm-hmm. And the only way, you just forget what it was like without the internet kids, don't you? It's kind of, it, it, you, where they would show clips of, of like all the big movies that were in America, like Indiana Jones and the, the Last Crusade or the new Batman film. Yeah. And it was the only way you could get to see, you know, footage of this stuff, you know, or trailers or, or whatever. And uh, I used to be obsessed with it. Cinema Tra- You don't remember that one? Cinema Tractions? I, I don't know, but I remember... younger than me. I, I remember Mariana Frost, Frostrop. Uh, I can never say her name. Oh, Mariana um, Frostrop, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember her doing a, doing a movie reviews programme that I used to quite enjoy watching. It was on quite late night. It was usually on about half twelve, one o'clock in the morning uh, or something. Did you ever see... There was another one, Alex Cox. Did you ever see that movie drone on BBC Two? Yeah. And that was how I got to see sort of things like um, uh, 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 um, oh, Brazil for the first time or um, uh, Night Riders, that George uh, Romero film. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that, but uh, all these kind of really great cult films that were in danger of being lost at the end of the 80s. Robinson uh, Crusoe on Mars. Yeah, no, I, just kind of, I miss that now. I don't, I don't know who's doing that stuff now. I don't, I don't think anyone is particularly, are they? So it's kind mm-hmm. of, maybe it's not necessary because it's all... It's all online, you see. Well, the sci- Sci-Fi Channel used to do it until until they sort of like rebranded. Oh, okay. Um, right, yeah. But it's sort of like... Um, but it's, it's, it's strange how, how, how things have changed. It's sort of like... Um, because like you and I grown up when, when we only had sort of like three or four channels. And, yeah. and And then in the late 80s, early 90s, you had the... You had Sky and you had B, BSB and then it became B-Sky-B. Yeah. You know, I remember the square reels. <laughs> oh God! Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I remember those. I didn't have one, but I remember. I remember seeing them advertised and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, it's 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 just uh, just amazing how how much things have changed. It is, um, and it, and it's it's an interesting. I mean, as going back to talking about musketeers, um, I, you know, I think that when we are on the threshold of a change, actually. Um, you know, because the way this show, I mean, I did, Musketeers is a phenomenally popular show, but it's just, it's a very hard popularity to bottle because its its success is scattered across, you know, 200 plus territories. 
um, and, and online. You know, it's not it's not really about overnight ratings. It's not really about winning a slot on BBC One. And I think that that's as the BBC changes, and it certainly seems to be changing quite rapidly at the moment. We may see. I mean, I've just released this, this Anthony Horowitz show, New Blood, the first three episodes on iPlay. You know, we may see more. I hope we see more of that kind of experimentation and that kind of mass delivery of multiple episodes on some kind of, you know, web platform. Because it just feels to me like, you know, we, we people are consuming their, their content so quickly and in so many different ways that you just almost got to, you almost just got to give it to them and let them do with it what they want, you know, because they're going to do that anyway, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Simon, I've got one final one for you before, yeah. before, we, before we wrap up. Sure. Um, thus far, you've managed to work on projects with Frank Spotnitz, Adrian yeah. Hodges. And um, I'm just wondering, is there a TV or film writer that you'd love to have a chance to work with? And if so, uh, what sort of genre or or project would you like to try and tackle with them? Well, you know, there are so many. I mean, there are so many amazing writers. Um, But I guess if I could anything, and it wouldn't be necessarily to be a writer because I don't think I'd be good enough. I don't think I'd, you know, that TARDIS you were talking about earlier, if I could have that TARDIS and travel back in time to the Sopranos writer's room around about 1999, maybe 2001, uh, and just make them coffee, you know, I would be honoured. I think David Chase, uh, I think that show, for me, is probably the greatest TV show ever made. I think David Chase is a genius. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah, just to have been present when that was being developed, written, produced, would have been incredible. Um, I I think that is probably my favourite TV show of all time. I don't know how you feel about it. I, I've seen, I've, I've never actually seen it past the first series because uh, it's okay. one, one that I need to go back to. Yeah, yeah, um, I you do. Yeah. James Gand- Gandolfini, and um, he, he, he was a brilliant actor. Well, it was just a show that um, I think was about something. It was about being alive. It was about mm-hmm. mortality, you know. Um, it, was, it was a really profound show, I think, in lots of ways. And I think, again, it's there for you to decide. I hope you, um, I hope you love it when you uh, go back to it as mm-hmm. much as I do. I would, I mean, it's sort of like um, The Shield's another show that I've got to go back to. Hey, no, do you know um, what? I've never seen it, but I hear many, many recommendations. And, and The Wire, which I'll get shot for this, but, uh, I, you know, I haven't seen that. Do you know what? I haven't seen, I've seen, I think I, I, I watched the last series of Breaking Bad, uh, which I thought was amazing. And because I watched the last series, I haven't bothered to watch the previous four or five or whatever it was. And I've never mm. seen The Wire, so I should probably correct that soon too. Yeah, well, one 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 of the things I want to go back and watch The Shield is um, it's a show that Kurt Sutter, the American TV writer Kurt Sutter, yeah. uh, kind of got a bit of you know, kind of got his big break on it. Yeah, and 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 did he did that right before he went on to do Sons of Anarchy, which is a show that I loved. Although it did go a bit, did get a bit singy towards the end is that for me. Still um, running, or is that because um, I, I thought that was still going? So they like... they wrapped it up um, about I'd say eighteen months ago. It stopped. Um, they you know they basically wrapped up the story story and it and um, as as you'd anticipate, it didn't end well. Yeah, it didn't end well for Jack okay. or or it anyone. Didn't end well for the characters or. Um... Well, it was always it was always sort of like it always had that very Shakespearean sort of like tragedy you, about sorry, it. Do you do you mean it didn't end well as in you didn't think it was good or do you, it didn't end well as in bad things happened to people you cared about? It didn't end well for the characters. Oh, I you see, know, right. Bad, bad oh, things right. happened. I think that's good. I think that's a good way of, uh, you know, uh, ending a show, isn't it? Because it makes you, doesn't it make you want more? Isn't that the, the kind of idea or... Well, you know, I, I wasn't disappointed in the ending, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I don't think, I, I think it, he ended the way it should have done, really, you know, given right. given the uh, the sort of Neville Shakespearean tragedy that was going throughout. 
yeah. sort of thing because he kind of um you know you had you had Jats, he, he saw like he'd been reading his father's diaries and he kind of become he, he became sort of like a bit of an idealist as in wanting to try and you know run run the bike club the way way his father had envisioned it to do Sort well, of thing. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, so you'd stuck with that show from the, the start, right? You'd, you'd watched every episode up to that point, and um, you were a fan, right? That, yeah. that was the yeah. Um, I, I so still it, it. It's it's a heavy it's a, it's a heavy responsibility. Working out how to end the show, you know, is difficult, isn't it? Because I guess it's um. I mean, I haven't seen that show, but you know, it's it's you're trying to do so many things. You're trying to pay off the character journeys, or are you? You're trying to say goodbye to the audience. You're trying to say thank you to the audience on some level. You know, it's um. Having having done, I mean, actually, I. I I realised the other day I, I'd never actually written the final episode of a thing ever before, but I have done it with Musketeers, you know. So um, it's it's I can it's one of those things I think it's really really hard to please everybody, you know. And um, there are always going to be some people that you know, feel it didn't work or, or didn't honour the the characters that they've spent so much time and investing their lives in, you know. It's, it's it's a really interesting one. But did it satisfy you? I mean, do you, do you, you mean you kind of you walked away from it wanting more, or, or you wanting wanting something different? Or I, I walked away from it. Squ- Quite, you know, quite satisfied with how it ended because the the character of Jats, who who are, are, are most of it centered around, he he'd been on this journey and he tried to redeem himself, and in trying to redeem himself and in trying to change the way the club was run, he saw like became as bad as as um, as his uncle okay. sort of thing. That's a good so he he, 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 he kind of went full circle. We're spoiling this for people. We're spoiling this. Well, you spoiled it for me. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I don't need to watch it now. <laughs> well, you know, so I'm, gonna, I'm not. I'm not giving you any details. <laughs> you know, but it's, it, it, it kind of went full circle, and it. I, I think. I, I think as a series, it ended really well. Yeah. Um, and you know the, the characters. You know, everything was paid off with the characters in the end. Um, but as I said, it did get a little bit daft towards the middle. Uh, you know, there were certain plot threads that you know, you you, you kind of as a, as a fan, you can kind of disregard them and just <laughs> take out what's good in the episode. Sort of well, thing. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, fans, you know, people who are loyal to a show uh, and, and stay invested in it, even when that perhaps they're disappointed by a storyline or a character. You know, that's 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 quite something. And I think that um, I mean, you know, Musketeers, we, we have the same thing. We we, we kind of um, you know we, we, we respect people's right to say they don't like something, or just as much as we're delighted when they do. You know, it's it's part of it, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. and that's what fandom is. I mean, it's a wonderful thing about fandom. So many people being so passionate about so many things, sharing their passions. That's what you do. It's amazing. And um, you know, so it's just a lovely, lovely thing to be part of, um, I think. And it's wonderful that you love that show and you can talk so eloquently about it. And, uh, you know, it's great. I will, I will, how many, se- four seasons of it? Are there five seasons? Something I, like that. I think it? it ran for about five or six years. Right, yeah. um, um, I'll check it out. The, the, you know, the early episodes, it was actually very much um, sort of like uh, the critics were saying that it was very much like uh, a modern shit, you know, a modern television Shakespearean sort of um, sort of vibe to it. Okay. On it's on wow. it's about 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 a group of outlaw bikers. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the, that's fantastic. the dynamics and the politics within within the bike club and the various different clubs and different factions that are going on, and then you have got the the uh, the relationship between the club and 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 the local law enforcement, and then you then you got the FBI and stuff like that. Yeah. So like it, it was really complex, but there was a lot of fantastic characters in it and some fantastic acting performances. Sold it to me. There you go. I'm, yeah. I'm writing this down. 
<laughs> okay, well, Alan, uh, Simon, it's been, been brilliant speaking with you. You too. Um, Thank you and, so much. You know, um, keep keep me informed of anything else that comes up. Do you, do you have anything else coming up after after Musketeers? Have you got anything? We do. We have um, uh, projects uh, uh, projects on my own. Uh, projects with Simon Jass with Ashford, who who was the other showrunner on um, Musketeers, and is brilliant. Um, uh, if we said anything about it, um, if they didn't kill us, we'd have to come and kill you. Uh, so we can't right now say anything about it, but um, hopefully soon we'll be able to make a, a couple of announcements. But we'll see. You know, it's that a kind of perennial problem for producers and writers. They, they you know, we, we have to come. Mind you, some of this might be on the internet. Actually, if you go looking, you might be able to find some of it. But um, right now, we, we can't say say anything. Okay. Well, you know. Sorry. <laughs> you, if just uh, I'll, I'll try and keep an eye on your Twitter feed amongst the uh, oh, amongst yeah. the other eight hundred that I'm trying yeah, to yeah. monitor. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it, it, you know, if, if it's something nearer the time you need to promote, just let us know, and we'll sort of like, try oh, and no, help no, you out. Thank you so much, and thank you again for for being such a brilliant early champion of stuff we we were doing. Um, it meant so much to us, though. The um, article you did for us on Fables of Forgotten Things, we were so, so happy with that, I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a pleasure to do it. It was a pleasure to talk to you tonight as well, despite the thunder and uh, the fact that the power's gone. I can't actually believe this didn't break, because I don't know where, what web uh, server I'm on, because the power in the house went out halfway through this. So it's wow. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Anyway, so, yeah. so your literally is sat in the dark with a knit match in your hand. Yeah, and, and we were still talking, so this must be powered by some mysterious force that has yet to reveal mm. itself to me, which is going to be interesting. But, um, mate, it's been great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot, Simon. It's been fantastic. Uh, Take care. You know, speak to you. Bye for now. It's science fiction that will blow your mind. <laughs> This is SFP now. And that about wraps things up for this week, folks. Um, we'll be back at you again in a, in a couple of weeks' time, hopefully, with more interviews. Um, in the meantime, you might want to check out some of our older episodes at scififulseradio.com. Um, there you'll also find uh, an archive of episodes of uh, of Matt's and Junie Pyle's uh, brilliant, f- fantastic show called Genretainment as well. Um, I'd like to thank Racer as always for, for helping out with the TV stuff and also Junie Chambliss and um, our special guest this week, Brandon Easton, for you know being a part of the show. Um, that's all for now. We'll see you next time. Bye.